I was uh, in a friend of mine's wedding, and this was some years back, but um, we were there at the rehearsal where everybody kind of stands where they're supposed to stand and is told how they're supposed to walk and, you know, don't hold your mouth open like you're going to try to catch a fly and look presentable and all those kinds of things. And, and the preacher couldn't make it to the wedding, um, to the rehearsal, and uh, he was running late. This is in Southern California. He'd been stuck in traffic or something. And so the, the lady from the church, who, who wasn't the church where the minister was from, but it was one of those things where the, this church was really pretty and it had a nice center aisle, and so this was an ideal win, wedding venue. They had chosen this church, and as part of the package of getting married in this church, you had to use their uh, wedding coordinator who would stand at the back door and tell you to come in and you know all that kind of stuff. She was going to run the rehearsal, and so she was standing in as the preacher and kind of just running everybody through the, the paces. And, and part of her deal was to sort of just kind of get everybody used to it. And so she was going through the wedding vows with my friend and his uh, fiancée, soon-to-be wife. And so she was going through them, you know, the normal, you know, do you take so-and-so to love, honor, and obey, you know, until... You know, death to his part. That's, that's how we've all, you know, remembered that. But when it got to that part, you know, honor and obey, love each other in sickness and health for long as our love shall last. <laughs> that was the vow. In that church, that was the vow. I promise to be married to you for as long as our love shall last. Seriously. Seriously. That was how the vows went. My friend was a little sort of taken back by this, and so he actually said, till death do us part, and she looked at him like he had lobsters crawling out of his ears. <laughs> this went on twice. She would never change. That's how they did it. A couple years later, this news article came out, some seek alternatives till death do us part. In some weddings, and I'm reading now, till death do us part is going the way of to honor and obey, that is, out the window. Vows like, for as long as we continue to love each other, or for as long as our love shall last, and until our time together is over, are increasingly replacing the traditional to-the-grave vow, a switch that some call realistic and others call a recipe for failure. And that's where I would put myself, is the recipe for failure. I think we have this exceedingly pessimistic view about marriage and the commitment of it. And the book of Proverbs that we're going through in this Committed Family series has a lot to say about marriage. It has a lot to say about wives, and we're going to go ahead and take that principle and move it over to husbands as well, because I think you'll see that it does, in fact, uh, transfer quite nicely. Uh, this morning, our sermon is going to be essentially in two parts. The first is a little bit shorter, and it's going to be directed to those of you who are thinking about marriage or who think someday you might be married. The second part is for those that are married, and I guess there's going to be a third part we'll throw in there. That will be some of the things we're going to do this week as part of our Committed Family Challenge. So to those of you that aren't married, Scripture reminds us really to do one super important thing, and that's this, is that you covenant with a worthy partner. You need to make a vow with somebody that's worth making a vow with. Uh, I would say this. Realize you're, you're making a lifelong vow. You read through Scripture, 
And, and the for as long as our love shall last vow is pretty inconsistent with what Scripture teaches about marriage. It is one man, one woman for one life. That's how it goes. That's how it's been since the beginning. Paul in Ephesians 5 teaches us something pretty profound about marriage. He says, listen, marriage is nice, and it's nice for people. But really what marriage is, is it's a symbol of God's love for humanity. It's a symbol of God's love for the church. And so when you get married, you're not just getting married, you know, for, for the happiness and the benefit of it, although it brings happiness and it is a great benefit to many people. Uh, what you're doing is you're getting married to, to show how God's love works, that when great divine love comes together and covenants together, life has the capacity to spring forth from it. That This isn't a, a covenant for two consenting adults to, to get a tax break. Okay? Marriage is something far greater than that. It, it shows you that when true covenantal love comes together, life springs forth from it. This is why to redefine marriage to include a, a same-sex couple is really inconsistent because it doesn't fulfill Scripture's purpose for it. Okay? That, it it's just, that's just kind of an aside, but that's the truth. Paul gets it, it, at this in Ephesians 5, and he says, listen, marriage is a symbol. It, it shows us Christ's love for the church. So marriage is greater than me, it's greater than my wife, it's greater than you, it's greater than your future spouse, because it is a symbol of God's love to our children, to each other, and to the world. And when a marriage ends, it sends the wrong message. It says that that kind of covenant love doesn't really exist. And those of you that have been through divorce, you know how painful, in fact, it can be. So step one in having a great marriage is to pick a great marriage partner. This is super important, and it's why Proverbs tells us over and over that disharmonious wives are a curse. And we're going to go ahead and add disharmonious husbands can be a curse as well. Proverbs 21.9 says, listen, it's better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a contentious wife. You, you sort of see this older man telling this to his son about ready to get married, don't you? He'd be like, son, listen. I've been around and I've seen, and let me tell you, it would be better for you to not have a roof over your head. It would be better for you to live on the corner of some guy's adobe, you know, dwelling. It would be better for you to live there with the risk of rolling off and falling to your death. It would be better to do that than to be married to a contentious woman. Trust me on this. I think given the opportunity... Uh, would you rather have a really difficult job or a really difficult marriage? I don't think there's anybody who would say, oh, no, I'd rather take the really difficult marriage. There's something about it. You come home. You want this to be a place of peace. You want there to be a partnership here. That's what it's about. And so Proverbs says, listen, it, it would be better for you to sort of be homeless, living in somebody's house on their roof, than it would be to be married to a contentious person. There's a second verse here, just, just a few verses down, 10 verses down, as a matter of fact. In case you didn't get it, son, it's better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and fretful woman. It would be better for you to get yourself a, a teepee and live in the bottom of Death Valley, totally exposed with no water. It, it would be better for you to die of exposure than for you to have to live with a contentious and fretful wife because it goes on forever. At least in the desert, you're out of your pain fairly quickly and nobody's there to nag you about it. So trust me on this. Trust me on this. It's important that we pick somebody that, that, that we can partner with. 
Marrying a difficult person ends in a difficult marriage, okay? And yet often people jump into marriage with somebody they're not sure about, or they jump into marriage with somebody that's a little more difficult than they'd like, but, but they think this. They go, you know what? I can change them. I can change this person. Oh, I, I can change them. And yet Scripture and experience reveals that people don't often change. How about this? Proverbs 27, 15, and 16 says this, A continual dripping on a rainy day and a contentious wife are alike. I have a toilet in my, my, uh, the bathroom that's attached to my bedroom that runs constantly. Today I'm going to Home Depot to get a kit to replace it. Why? Because I hear that all night. And it drives me crazy. Drip. 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 And it never stops. All the time. Drip. 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 And, and, and the Proverbs writer says this. Listen, to be married to somebody like that, man or woman, contentious husband, a contentious wife, it is like a continual dripping. It doesn't stop. And then what does he say? You think you're going to change them? You think you're going to change him? You think you're going to change her? To restrain her is to restrain the wind. How can you stop the wind? You can't. It's like grasping oil in your right hand. Go home. Get yourself some oil and just grab it. Okay? Pour it in a bucket and grab it. And see how much of it you get. You can't get any of it. And that's what the Proverbs writer says. It reminds you. It says, listen, you think you're going to change somebody who's a continual drip? Mm-mm. No, no, no. Mm-mm. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. They're always going to be that way. You can't change them. You can't harness the wind. You can't touch the sun. You can't find the end of a rainbow. You can't grasp oil in your right hand. And you can't change a contentious person. So don't marry him. Don't invite that into your house. Don't do it. Carl Pilmer a PhD is a professor of human development at Cornell University, you know, one of those small community colleges. And he studies marriage and family. One of the things he's dedicated his life to is to research of older people and the things they've learned. And, and particularly, he's interested in, in marriage. And so he's been sampling thousands of people, 50 years old, 60 years old, 70 years old, who have been married uh, 50, 60, 70 years. Some of these people, some of these people are in their 90s and 80s and, and you get to be 100 years old. And he says this, he says, the fundamental principle vehemently endorsed by older people, vehemently endorsed by older people. He said, imagine hundreds of elders in a room shouting at you in unison this one thing. If you're considering marriage... Accept your partner as is or don't get married. Never expect your partner to change after marriage. Never, ever, ever! Exclamation point. Vehement older people yelling at you. Don't think somebody's going to change. Patricia, 81. Her answers to the other questions were positive, pleasant. But she was blunt on this issue. She says, if you think you're going to marry someone who is not quite on the same page as you are, and you're going to change them, you're a fool. A fool. But you may object. Don't people change after marriage? Oh, indeed. Don't people change their entire lives? Well, of course they do. But Palmer says, the elder's point of view, they rarely change because their husbands or wives force them to. The lesson is not that no one changes after marriage. It's said instead that you cannot change your partner. It's true. And some of you fall into this vehement older people crowd. You know it's true. 
This is why missionary dating, dating non-Christians, convert them is foolish. It opens up a possibility to a mixed-matched marriage. Marriages where one person's a believer and the other isn't is tough. Just ask somebody that's in one. They're tough because you can't share the same spiritual depth together. You can't instill the same virtues in your children. And you're going to have conflict when you try to make that type of resolution. This is why Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says this, Do not be mismatched with unbelievers. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship is there between light and darkness? You can't put them together. So the practical, simple advice is this. Know who you're marrying. Spend time together. Talk. Go through a book like Before You Say I Do or Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts. Get things like premarital preparation. It's something that's super important. I'll tell you, you won't regret knowing more about your future spouse but you may regret not knowing enough. All right, that's part one. That might be a little more relevant next hour, but we'll move on. Now, to those of you that are married, three words for us as we think about how do we make a committed marriage last. Three words are this, enjoy, guard, and remember. Enjoy, guard, and remember. We can protect our marriage covenants first and foremost by enjoying and celebrating our spouse. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18 says, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Verse 19 will go on to talk about how we should find satisfaction in each other. Willard Harley wrote a book. A lot of you probably have heard of it. Uh, His Needs, Her Needs. The subtitle to that is The Guide to Building an Affair-Proof Marriage. And that's what he's trying to do. saying, listen, I'm trying to help marriages become affair-proof And the number one step to building an affair-proof marriage isn't staying away from other people. It's not sort of keeping your spouse away from somebody else. No, the number one step in building an affair-proof marriage is drawing your spouse close and meeting their needs. And then each of the chapters, he's got ten chapters, he, he talks about them. He says, the first thing she can't do without is affection. The first thing he can't do without is sexual fulfillment. She needs him to talk to her. He needs her to be uh, going out and having recreational fun with him. She needs to totally trust him. And he needs a good-looking wife. And she needs enough money to live comfortably. And he needs peace and quiet. And she needs him to be a good father. And he needs her to be proud of him. And that's his list. And I'm not asking if you agree with it. We'll talk about that later, I suppose. But the point is this, is that he says, listen, there are profound basic needs that each person comes into a marriage with. And he says, if you want to build an affair-proof marriage, is you take care of those needs. You take care of those needs, and they don't go to look someplace else. That's why Proverbs 5.18 says you should find satisfaction, enjoyment inside of your marriage. So enjoy step one. Step two is guard. Guarding your heart and your mind. Proverbs 6, 23 through 26 says this, These commands are a lamp. This teaching is a light, and the corrections of discipline are the way to life. Keeping you from the immoral woman, from the smooth tongue of the wayward wife. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty, or let her captivate you with her eyes. For the prostitute reduces you to a loaf of bread, and the adulteress preys upon your very life. And I actually think that's from the New International Version but living in obedience to God, letting ourselves be captivated by Him, by His Word, by by staying to the lamp in the way of light helps us to guard our hearts and our minds. Commitment to our spouses starts with living in obedience and commitment to God first. 
It starts there. And this passage is pretty clear that the first step towards something that would break your marriage is an unguarded heart and an unguarded mind, a mind that would stray off of the path and move out of the light, a heart that is allowed to follow whatever feelings and nurture whatever feelings it feels is an unhealthy, untrained, undisciplined heart. A mind that is allowed to dwell on whoever, whenever, however, is an undisciplined mind. And it's a dangerous place to be. We need to guard our minds and guard our hearts, disciplining them. And they will help us keep our committed marriages strong. One last step here. As we enjoy our spouses and as we guard our hearts and minds, we should also remember the consequences of infidelity or remember the consequences of broken marriage vows. In the Ten Commandments, we've talked about this. God says, listen, don't covet. Don't, and he specifically says, don't covet your neighbor's wife. Now, when we talk about coveting in a relationship, we've, we've talked about this a lot. I think the big sin of covet is it directs our emotional energy into something that is not ours. It says, I'm going to put more emotional energy into a fantasy land, thinking about somebody else or something else than I am going to be putting into my own marriage. And it's interesting, in a marriage, here's the things that happen. The bills pile up and the sleep gets diminished and romance can fade. And instead of putting emotional energy and dreams back into your marriage, you start to put your emotional energy and dreams into somebody else that isn't yours. And you're investing time and thoughts into a relationship that doesn't exist and a person that is essentially a phantom. Because guess what happens when you form a relationship? Those things just happen. It might work out in your mind because in your imagination there are no bills or sleep deprivation and plenty of romance. But friends, that's not how it works. The problem is that it's a fantasy and what you're really dreaming about is fire. Proverbs chapter 6 verse 27 through 32 says this. We've got it on the screen. Or I thought we did. Maybe. Okay, here we go. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? No. Okay, the answer is no. Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? No. So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. Men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his hunger when he is starving. Yet if he is caught, he must pay sevenfold, though it costs him all the wealth of his house. But a man who commits adultery lacks judgment, and whoever does so destroys himself. And friends, you can't get any plainer than that. Enjoy, guard, remember. Those are the three important keys to a committed marriage. And we want to help you get a head start on those types of things by enjoying your family this week. And that's what our family's, uh, this week's family challenge is about. I hope you guys enjoyed uh, family challenge last week. It was great to get some emails, some good memories, and some uh, pictures got posted, those kinds of things. Uh, Jenny and I, I know we really enjoyed going through uh, old pictures with the kids. This week's challenge is a little different. Uh, we want you to have a movie night. Pop some popcorn, get some movie candy, uh, the whole nine yards, and watch a movie together as a family. If you've got kids, love for you to have a, a movie with the kids. Uh, we've got a resource in here called Plugged In. Pluggedin.com is a ministry of focus on the family. If you have children and you live in a world with TV and movies, uh, I don't know how you can have both of those without Pluggedin.com. Pluggedin.com is a place where Jenny and I go each time 
we want to watch a movie, rent a movie, check out a movie, um, because it's got great summaries of, of, is this movie even worth watching? But then also, what are the things in it that you might have to talk to your kids about? And so they actually have some movie night guides where you can find a movie, all sorts of ages from kids up to teens, and, and it's got a discussion guide. Uh, some of the stuff, you know, as you get your teens a little bit older, they've got discussion guides for some movies that your teens definitely want to see. Maybe you're not real excited about them. But it, it, it's got a great discussion points about how did this work out well and how didn't it work out well. And, and you can get all that there by looking that up online. Uh, for extra credit, we'd love for you to post a photo or two to Facebook, uh, Instagram. Let us know that you're participating in that. Uh, down to committed marriages, we're, we're going to put this extra step there. If you've got kids, you can start your movie early. Maybe eat picnic style in the living room, put a blanket out. This is a good move. So that way when they spill, because they will. Um, it's all there on the blanket, and nobody's got to get angry. But you do that. You put the kids to bed. You watch another movie of your choice, um, and you spend that time together. Uh, another thing is, you know, invest in your marriage. One one sixty eighth we've been talking about is not enough. And guess what? One one sixty eighth isn't enough to center your marriage on Christ either. Uh, we go to church one hour a week. Yeah, that's great. But are you spending, you know, time in a fellowship group in a Sunday school class? Are you, you praying with other believers that, that you get in that hour of fellowship? You know, that would change that then to 2, 168th. And I know you math people, you're like, well, you'd have to divide 168 by 2. We're not going to go there right now, okay? So it'd be, be 2, 168 right now, okay? We've got hour of worship, hour of fellowship. Are you serving together? Man, that's such an important thing to do. Serve together as a family. We just did meals yesterday, and it was a great experience for everybody that was there. That puts this number up to 3, 168. And I don't think you can divide 3 into 168. So now we're back to a good, proper standing fraction. 3, 168. Okay, three hours of the 168 of your week. I don't think that's too much. You throw in a movie night, that brings you up to 5, 168. I mean, we're still talking a minor investment. But 1 one sixty-eighth isn't going to cut it. What, what are you going to do? You've got to spend some time investing in your marriage. All right, I think that's it. Got to pick a worthy partner. Enjoy the one you've got. Guard yourself. And remember the consequence of broken vows. It's so important that we do that, friends. That's one of the best ways we can make sure we have committed families because committed families start with committed marriages. Let me pray for you real quick before we come to our time of decision. Gracious Lord, I pray for every couple in here who's married. I pray, the Lord, that you would bless their marriage. I pray, Lord, that this week they would spend some time together, whether they go out or whether they stay in. Um, but, Lord, would they spend some time, more than one, one sixty-eighth, Lord, would they spend some time together investing in each other and in their relationship, Lord, please. Please, Lord, put, put that on their heart, on their minds. Lord, I pray that as we think about these, these incredibly wise words from the book of Proverbs, that, Lord, they would guard us, guard our thoughts and direct us into the path, Lord, that you have set before us for relationships that are life-giving and lifelong. Lord, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, this morning we come to our time of decision and we get ready for communion. If you've got a decision to make, you need to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. You need to make a commitment to his church. Uh, we'll invite you to come forward and do that. Otherwise, let's sing this song and, and reflect on the sacrifice of Christ as we come to the table to remember his work. Why don't you stand as we sing? <laughs>